ask that you and you alone would remain in our hearts. No other voice of man, no other thought, Lord, apart from your Holy Spirit's prompting in our hearts. So may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all our hearts, O Lord, be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I had this particular picture posted up. Uh, it, it was uh, on request of, of this whole idea of jars of clay. Uh, you recall in one of our texts, we have this thing, we have this immeasurable treasure in jars of clay. And quite often, we are reminded of how brittle and fragile uh, we are. I mean, jars of clay are made out of mud, mud and water or dust and water, essentially. And if you look at it from our base elements, we are not much different. From dust you came to dust you shall return. But within this is this immeasurable treasure, whether you're broken or otherwise, that God pours in His Holy Spirit into us and causes these pitchers or these jars to be carried out and poured out into other people. And this continues on. But when we have this imagery of jars of clay, we always say, you know, I can only do so much. I've only got so much water in me. If you keep pouring me out, there is nothing left to be poured out. And that's in a way when we work in this mentality of our own strength. But it's quite different when you have a jar that is perpetually being filled by this never-ending stream of living water, which we call Jesus Christ. Mark and Matthew, in, uh, in their testimony, to some extent, have pointed towards that. When the physical body is effectively giving in and giving up, and he feels as if he's being barbecued, uh, like under his heat, uh, hot and cold, trembling and shivering, and all that's left behind is his holding on and crying out to God, it is at that moment when God and God alone is able to pour in His Spirit and remind us all in our brokenness my grace is sufficient for you. In all our brokenness, in all our sin, we have this particular uh, issue. Now, I've titled this name, Going, Share God's Great Treasure. As jars of clay, uh, we're being told to go and share God's great treasure. And to give you this background in Acts, we must remember uh, Luke is writing the Gospel of Luke and then eventually writing on the, the, the letter of Acts. And Acts is a continuation of that Gospel. What is the Gospel of Luke about? The Gospel of Luke is uh, the identity of Jesus, what he did, and what he did on the cross. But the story of Acts is therefore a continuation of what Jesus does and continues to do through the power of the Holy Spirit working in his disciples. And so at the end of Luke, we have this commission that Luke uh, you know, records there where he sends out his people and he says, stay in Jerusalem for a period of time until power comes upon you and then go and be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Right? So Luke uh, continues this at the end and in Acts, when he continues his story, it basically records that's what happened. In Jerusalem, they wait, they pray in a unity. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. They begin speaking in tongues. Uh, Peter uh, addresses a whole crowd. And in one day, 3,000 come to faith. And then Luke begins to go, uh, sorry, Peter continues to go further and further and further. And in the midst of this persecution, 
And there's this story there in, in Acts about two temples. One temple is the Jewish temple represented by the synagogue and the people in Jerusalem. And the other temple is the temple of the people of God that keeps growing and keeps going out. And every time there's a contrast between what the Jews in the temple do and what the Christians who are the new temple uh, do. <clears throat> and it comes to the story in chapter 18 where, uh, 18 where Paul, who was once part of the old temple, who persecuted and even uh, approved of Stephen being uh, stoned, is now at a point where he himself has encountered God uh, and is being sent out first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Now, prior to this, if you've been doing your reading, uh, if you just look at chapter 17, you will see, you know, a few, uh, just from the title headers, uh, Paul and Silas, then in chapter 17, it begins in your NIV Bible, we say in Thessalonica, then from Thessalonica to Berea, and then from Berea to Athens. Now, we are Asians. I don't know how many of you have gone to, uh, to Greece or to Turkey. Uh, if you are a native of Turkey and Greece, these places mean something. The same way if I were to say Aitam, uh, uh, you know roughly something in Aitam, roughly where it is. But when we Asians read this and we don't have a, ge a geographical positioning uh, system, it's just words. And so it's, in, in times like this, it's good to actually have a map because the map will tell you why does he mention Thessalonica uh, and then Berea and then uh, it's because he's traveling from a north to a south direction and so geographically you can actually trace his path if you were to look at his map uh, from Thessalonica to, to uh, Berea from Berea to Athens and then Athens into Corinth right uh, not many people know this, so if you are ever going to plan a trip, then you might begin to understand that geography uh, a little better. Uh, sorry, I need to get this on. And so he's traveling in a particular direction, and he spent some time in Athens. Right? But in Athens, there is a, a fair bit of conflict. And so if you look at Athens chapter 17, uh, at the end of, uh, of chapter 17, verse 34, uh, some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of uh, Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Now, I mention this in passing because uh, our Methodist church, we actually practice uh, women's ordination and women in leadership. And some people have been asked, you know, hey, other churches, they only allow men. Why is it in your Methodist church you allow women? And those who practice this uh, form where they say only men, they, they take certain texts and they say, I do not permit a woman to have authority over a man. That's something that Paul says, uh, but in a particular context. And to some extent, we say you're ignoring uh, the context of the larger uh, picture that Paul sometimes points out. And one of the things that is mentioned in here when you look at chapter 17, verse uh, 34, is this mention of a woman named Damaris. It's a very, very short sentence. But if you're quite regular in reading the Bible, whenever a name is mentioned, uh, there is significance in the sense that the person who wrote this wants to record in historical perpetuity this person. 
And when the Bible records a name, it means that this person was important to the church. So Damaris, although she has a very short mention, is one person who is mentioned alongside with uh, Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus. And Dionysius actually existed because there are archaeological records that point to this name. Uh, a member of the Areopagus is like a member of the Philosophical uh, Intelligence Society. And so to have her name and then to have uh, this other person mentioned there is the writer, Luke, saying, hey, I want to record these two names because they're important. And so women did have prominence and they did support the church. And I want to point out later on as we go down to this, uh, other things with respect to that. Okay, chapter 18. I hope you have your Bibles open with me. Uh, you know, I, I tend to go to the text, so it's good to actually look at your text, even if it's on your handphone. I, I want to start with uh, chapter 18, verse 1, and I put a picture there of a tent maker. Okay, I just took it on uh, the internet, so no credit to me. But Paul's a tent maker. We find this in, uh, in chapter 18, verse 1. Uh, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And I'm going to show you a map in a short while how, how far that distance is. But he's just left Athens. There was conflict in the synagogue and he left in a way, but he left also some believers, some of whom were very prominent. Uh, and he mentions a man and a woman. Luke, the writer of Acts, mentions a man and a woman. And after this, Paul left Athens, went to Corinth. Uh, it's a, a very short trek, maybe about 20 miles away. Uh, he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come to Italy with his wife Priscilla uh, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. And archaeologically, we have this, uh, we call it the uh, Edict of Claudius. The Edict of Claudius is in somewhere in the period of uh, 64 AD. Claudius issues out a command to say, get rid of all the Jews in, uh, in Rome. Now, why is this significant? Because we have archaeological and historical record. Uh, a man by the name of Suetonius wrote and said, Claudius evicted all the Jews out of Rome in this period because they were fighting over this person named Crestus. And it spells C-H-R-E-S-T-U-S. Which people now, when they look at it, it says, ah, okay, we know that as Christ. And it's true, because in the Rome, they were arguing in the synagogues and the Jewish people were persecuting the poor. At that time, they were poor. Slaves, uh, women, uh, people who were, in a way, rejected by society, who was claiming to be followers of Jesus, were being persecuted by the Jews in the synagogue and they were creating this ruckus in the city such that Claudius couldn't be bothered said, get rid of these guys. And so... Aquila and his wife Priscilla have to leave Rome. And they are in this area in Corinth doing their business, which is tent making. Uh, and uh, Paul went to see them and because he was a tent maker as they were, uh, he stayed and worked with them. And here's the pattern of what he did. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade both Jews and Greeks. Now, I'm going to, not going to read the entire thing, but if you continue reading on, what you find is the synagogue eventually rejects him, which is the pattern of the old temple. 
But then he goes next door to a guy uh, who is a, a, a God-fearer and who's a Gentile. And this person receives him. And there is recorded again uh, a certain number of people uh, come to faith through what he's doing in this house church, okay, in this, in this uh, other place. Okay. So uh, here's a map. It's actually a modern map, but uh, I hope I can point it out. Here's Athens where he is, and then he goes across to this Corinth. Uh, the Corinth Channel uh, is now exists, uh, but it was built in the 1800. Uh, but the uh, Claudius apparently tried to build it as well in AD 66 or AD 64, but gave up part way, and he didn't want to do this. So there's a very, uh, very small peninsula here. And people, Corinth was very rich because people wanted to go from here across to this side. But this sea, the Ionian Sea, is uh, very turbulent and very difficult. So what would happen is people would come here to one of the ports here, drop off their stuff, and it would be carried across overland in a short distance to this portion where they continue the journey through here, which was less uh, chaotic. Let me see if I have the other map in there. Yeah. So the northern side here in the Old Testament, uh, sorry, in the time of New Testament, had these two places called Lycaon and Shinkreya. Shinkreya. So when you hear the word Shinkreya, you later on, it's like ah, okay, I know where that is now. Shinkreya and Lycaon. This is to Athens. So uh, Paul, in a way, from Athens came to this to this place, and later on, he's going to take a boat from St. Korea across to Syria. Berea and all the places mentioned earlier on is up here. So he comes down this way, goes in here, goes to St. Korea, and then goes off. Now, if you, if you like geography and you want to do all this, you can talk to me uh, later on. But here's what continues to happen. Uh, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. He left the brothers, sisters. He sailed. Uh, to Syria, accompanied by Priscilla, Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off. He had his hair cut off. Like this. <laughs> but for different reasons. Now, um, Paul, uh, as a Jew, they had this thing called the Nazarite vows. And the Nazarite vows are such where you don't touch alcohol and you don't cut your hair until the vow is fulfilled. And when the vow is fulfilled, what you then do is you shave. And not only do you shave, you collect all that hair together and then you bring it to Jerusalem and you put it into a fire in Jerusalem. There's a specific time and a specific place and a prayer to be said, which is an offering up to God and says, I have fulfilled my vow and I give thanks that you have helped me to complete it. That's a small thing. Okay, uh, and it's kind of lost because they don't explain what it is. But when you understand the background to this, Paul was paying attention, although he was a Jew and a Christian, and he was very free in the sense that um, the, the law of the Spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. He was very free, yet he attended to some of these traditions as a part of his culture, and he did this thing. So uh, what I'm trying to say here is Paul was a man of his word, 
in the sense that if he made this covenant promise, he actually went through all the troubles. And his journey to Syria, eventually, Syria is the part where at the bottom of that Syria area is Jerusalem. So his final destination is, is, uh, is Syria, but he, he heads back towards uh, uh, Caesarea, port of Caesarea, then he goes to Jerusalem. After he finishes Jerusalem, then he goes up to Syrian Antioch. Okay? So, uh, before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sancreia, and because of a vow he had taken. Uh, verse 19, they arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. And he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Now, why do I mention this? Paul is traveling. He's going all over the place, and everywhere he goes, he teaches and he preaches, and he begins to bring some of these uh, people who now follow him. And out of his work environment, having made friends with Priscilla and Aquila, uh, they now follow him. But I want to point out something which Bible scholars have also pointed out. At the start, in chapter 18, verse 1, the, the introduction is done, Aquila, who is a native of Pontus, and Priscilla, his wife. But thereafter, in many parts of the Bible, you will see that Priscilla is mentioned first, then Aquila after that. Now, why is that important? Because culturally, in their culture, you never mention the guy first unless the woman is of significant standing. And so many people would point out it is very likely that Priscilla is a more, more, uh, more known, more well-known person compared to Aquila. And they are always mentioned together. And as I said, when the Bible mentions names in particular, these people have significance in the relationship. Now what I would like to point out later on is that in the, in the book of Romans, uh, Romans chapter 16, effectively, uh, towards the end of Romans, Paul says, please greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers. My co-workers. And so Paul, the great apostle, had co-workers who were women. And it's good to look at Priscilla and Aquila and say, so what's the significance? What do they do that makes them co-workers? And why does Paul give them due credit and mentioned. So, uh, Paul carries on his journey and if you, if you read the text, he basically goes off and, uh, uh, and the story kind of ends that he's heading towards, uh, towards uh, Syrian Antioch. He goes to Jerusalem, goes towards Syrian Antioch. But the second part of the reading is about Priscilla and Aquila. Here's, here's what we see uh, and, and one of the summaries that I want to make here. Paul is itinerant. And it's uh, maybe a new word for you, but itinerancy is what the Methodist pastors are also engaged in. You never see a pastor for more than 10 years or 15 years. In fact, the period when they stayed for very long is not so much there. Uh, the pastor before me, uh, Pastor Yong, uh, Reverend Yong Wayin, was here maybe about six years, seven years. Uh, I was at my previous charge about six, seven years. Gauri was here one year. And that's what itinerancy means. We are sometimes sent to places where we are required more. Uh, and that's determined by the president as well as the board of appointments. But Paul, uh, in all his travels, he stays in Corinth for 18 months. 
a minimum of 18 months, which is quite unusual because in other places he actually stays even longer. He pauses in, in Corinth but then uh, leaves or has left for Syria. And when he arrives in Ephesus, he goes to the synagogue and he teaches and the people there invite him, won't you stay longer? And he says, it declined because his destination is Syria. So here's one of the things we want to take about this. Paul is not a person who, I will stay here because I'm welcome and I'm comfortable and people like me. He goes where he's needed and where he is sent. Now that's a challenge for us uh, because when we choose places we want to go, we want to go to places where we feel we belong, where we are welcome, where doors will be open and that's it. But Paul has a, a greater challenge, which is, I go where my calling sends me. And the Holy Spirit had prompted him, we go to Jerusalem, then to Syria. And then he, he, he mentions in this particular one, I will come back if it is God's will. Malaysia, we all say, what? Insha'Allah. What is the Greek term, do you know? It's this, Theotolontos. Theotolontos. God willing. So if you want to have a term to respond when people say, Inshallah, Teo Tolontos. And in his third missionary journey, he does actually go back to Ephesus. And so in all of this, one of the things about the gospel is the gospel is always on the move. The gospel always is being spread. The gospel is being spread by people uh, who are called and who go not because of comfort, or because it's exciting or whatever, but they go because God sends them. Now, let me bring Matthew and Mark back into this picture. <laughs> to some extent, maybe they felt mm, exciting, you know, got all these young fellows who go to Long Lama and you hear about all these stories. But they encountered a difficulty that if anyone were to go there, you wouldn't want to go there and fall sick. You wouldn't want to go there and suffer but here's one of the things that our, our friends didn't mention. You know, Mark was uh, kind of evacuated out from uh, Long Lamai, taken out to Miri General Hospital. And we had friends in Miri General Hospital who opened up their homes and said, we will take care of them, don't worry, and brought Jason and Karen into their, into their connections, loaned them cars and all that stuff. But at the end of that, they had to ask Mark, Mark, you want to stay here or you want to go back? And Mark's response is, I'm going back in. Not because it's comfortable, not because you can sit there and enjoy the, the, the river or whatever, but because he felt, I, I called, that he had to go in and deal with some of the issues there. It was his place of formation. And so some of our places of formation are really difficult places, but that's where God calls us to be. You may be in a period of false discipline. You, you, you're not in a place you want to be. You get sent off to China. You get sent off to all these weird places you don't want to be. But somehow, God has sent you there and there has to be a reason why He's sending you there. I pray that you would see it as an opportunity uh, to, to say like this, God willing, I will share God's word with whoever comes into my path. I had a friend who was in oil and gas, and in oil and gas, he traveled a lot. But here's the thing, he, he was not a Christian uh, from the beginning, but along the way, he became a Christian. And everywhere he traveled, 
he would always come back and he said, I met this guy or I met this lady. And I was like, I said, what do you do? You talk. I talked to them about Jesus. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. I'm also a bit afraid to do that at times unless the opportunity opens. But he does it. And surprisingly, he says, those are, in a way, God encounters. The person will tell them, I never expected to, to sit in business class next to this person who would talk about Jesus. But not just about Jesus, but talk about his life and how, he, how God had changed it. And invariably, every once in a while, he'll come back and says, yes, the guy said, I will, I will say the sinner's prayer. And it was the moment that I needed to be there. And so how many of us, when we go and we travel, we intentionally say this, I've got to keep my eyes open, God willing, that when God wills something to happen, I will share God's testimony with me. Here's a map where uh, from this area in Corinth, verse 18, verse 19, he goes to uh, Shankrea, the, the port. From there, he travels to Ephesus. From Ephesus, he goes to Caesarea, from Caesarea to Jerusalem, and then up to there hundreds and hundreds of miles without airplanes <laughs> on boat on land walking traveling no credit card <laughs> no amex transfer none of that on the seas on the lands our man travels But in this journey, he shared his life, and he shared his life in particular with Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla is sometimes mentioned in short, Prisca. Prisca is a short form for Priscilla and Aquila. Now, what do we know about Priscilla and Aquila? As I mentioned in Romans chapter 16, uh, verse 1, it says there, I'm going to read verse 1 all the way to verse 4. Romans chapter 16, verse 1 says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church of Sincrea. Phoebe, church of Sincrea, where? Corinth. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a benefactor of many people, including me. So here's Paul great apostle, great teacher, pointing out to the people in Romans, the church in Rome, and saying to them, Phoebe is a deaconess and she is a benefactor. Now, to be a benefactor means uh, in, the Jewish, uh, in, the, in the Roman system, a benefactor is a bit like a patron. A patron is a sponsor. In other words, if, if you have a patron, he's your sponsor, you are responsible to that sponsor. You give a report to the sponsor of what you're doing, where you spent the money and all that. Is Phoebe male or female? Is Phoebe male or female? I, I, I just need to make sure. <laughs> because some people refuse to accept that women can be in leadership, that women can sponsor men, that women and men have this mutual uh, relationship with each other. She is a benefactor. Not only that, if you go back and look at the Gospels, there is a statement in the Gospel that there were many women who were followers of Jesus who sponsored Jesus, paid for his trips. So in, in, in this understanding, we have Priscilla and Aquila 
who are together in this ministry, and as I mentioned, Priscilla is mentioned first, most of the time, only when introduction, then Aquila is mentioned first, but thereafter, Priscilla first. They encounter this guy, Apollos. Apollos, when you read 1 Corinthians, you hear him being mentioned, and Paul says, you know, uh, am I of Apollos, am I of Paul, am I of Peter? You know, God sends all these people and he basically builds them up, all of them. Okay. So Apollos is known as a strong teacher in the Gentile church. And he goes not only to the Gentile, but the Jewish synagogues, and he's teaching. He's a great teacher. But here's what uh, the text says. Huh? The gospel is shared and the kingdom of God spreads from, from Paul to uh, Priscilla, Aquila, from Priscilla and Aquila, they do something with Apollos and Apollos goes out further and share. Now here's, here's what he said about this. Apollos had been going around and he had been teaching about Jesus and he knew about, teacher, uh, about Jesus, but here's what Luke said about him. Verse 25, he'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. He spoke with great fervor, taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. And verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Uh, underline that if you would like to. But here's the significance. You see, in many of our other churches which do not recognize women in leadership or women in pastoral or preaching roles, they say women should not teach men and exercise authority over them. But here you have an example where Priscilla and Aquila take Apollos aside at home and they both teach him. Bible records it that. Both of them, including Priscilla, is teaching Apollos, who is a renowned teacher, which therefore means that both Priscilla and Aquila, or either one of them, were also very, very learned in the Word. I ask you this, huh? if you are very learned in the Word, and someone else who knows less than you comes and tells you something, do you think you would listen to them? And Apollos is said to know the Scriptures really well. And so for Priscilla and Aquila to come and teach them, either Paul has really taught them very well or they themselves already knew quite a fair bit of background to this. But I urge you to consider this carefully. Here is a woman and a man taking aside another learned man and teaching him more adequately. I say this because in some churches they say, I do not permit a woman to teach a man or have authority over him and tell him what is right or wrong about scripture. You must balance this with other texts and this is one of them. Now let me take this to, to uh, a conclusion. As you go, do you share God's treasure wherever God sends you? Are you intentionally taking moments and time to basically share of God's gospel with you? I ask this of you because if the Lord means nothing to you, you will not talk about this. If you love someone, somehow or other, in your conversation with others, talk about that someone will rise up. 
Someone asks you, where are you heading to? I'm going home. Where? Oh, my wife is waiting for me and she always cooks the best meals. I love being there with her. Where are you heading to? I'm going to the flower shop. I'm going to buy some flowers. It's our wedding anniversary. You know, in your conversations, inevitably something comes and you talk about the person that you love. So what does it mean to us when in all our conversation we cut out any, any, any mention of God, Jesus, Holy Spirit? Are you ashamed of this relationship? Are you afraid of this relationship such that you are unable to talk about this? So I challenge the norm. Will you, in your way, in, the, in, in as wise and as, uh, as gentle a way as you are, Go wherever you are to share God's treasure, God's goodness to you, and in so doing, speak of what God has done for you. I believe it leaks out. You can't contain it. If you really love God, you will eventually talk about Him. If you love someone, even when you love your chakwetel or your, your you know, favorite food, it will leak out. You will eventually mention it find occasion to talk about it. Secondly, do you train others also to share the gospel? Or the gospel or teach about this? Because uh, Priscilla and Aquila eventually go out and teach others. And they are so good that they correct another learned teacher. Parents, grandparents, are you learning such that you are discipling your own children? And I ask this question in all honesty, where are you getting your spiritual food from? If it is only from Sunday services, it is not enough. It's like eating once a week. When the challenge for us is to continuously have this spiritual food, don't starve yourself. And even if you're reading it, sometimes you need someone to process it and explain it to you. So will you take time on a regular basis daily to train yourself in order that you might train your children and your children's children so that they rightly divide the word of God, discerning its truth and the lies that come from the world? Thirdly, do you hinder or encourage the work of the gospel? Priscilla and Aquila, man and woman, a pair, as is the pattern the pair went out and they worked together. I really find it a bit frustrating that we have places where they totally wiped out and say, no, because of your gender or because of your inability or because of this or that or otherwise, you are not allowed to. It hinders the work of the gospel. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit is given to all. Neither Jew nor Gentile, neither uh, slave nor free, neither male nor female. There is no distinction. The gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of salvation, the gift of this treasure is given to all freely and therefore all should freely, according to how God calls us, be allowed to do what is needed. Let me ask you, therefore, be an encourager and do not prevent anyone from doing this marvellous work of God. Let us pray.
Dear Lord, as you have sent forth your people whom you call to do your work, I ask, O oh Lord, would you speak to each and every one of our hearts here that as we go, we would share your tremendous treasure and your great love for us to others, that they may know and encounter you. We pray this, O oh Lord, asking this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let me invite the communion stewards to come forward. Friends, it's also a good time to mention to you our Alpha uh, series. The third run of it is starting today, 3 p.m. And so if you have someone in mind whom you want to intentionally invite, please uh, do contact them, 3 p.m. at Bethel. Uh, or if you are unable to come this Sunday, then bring them next week. 